Um, I don't know whether you're aware, um, but we normally kind of have the same talk at five as we have at seven. And um, kind of we simplify things with seven by just having one reading. Um, and that means that kind of if I'm speaking at five as well, I kind of ignore the other reading and just focus on the one that we're having for both services. Um, which was a shame because I didn't actually read the second reading for five before the service. So kind of when it was read, it was as much of a surprise to me as it was to the rest of the congregation. But what amazed me was how kind of the contrast in attitudes between Paul's here in Colossians and the writer of the passage that we had read for the second reading. Uh, and it was Solomon and it was Ecclesiastes. Um, and it was Solomon in one of his more depressive moments. So it was kind of, life is meaningless. Life is kind of, whoa, you know, there's no point in any of it. You kind of spend all your life kind of amassing wealth and fortune and building something significant. And then you're going to die and you, you can't control what's going to happen to it afterwards. And it's all meaningless. And you couldn't get a bigger contrast between that and Paul, who is very clear that there is a purpose. And the purpose isn't limited by our kind of our human lifespan, our human nature, kind of how long we spend on this planet. It's, it's limitless because it's based on eternity. And that's very much the theme of this passage tonight. Um, so um, just to kind of link it into what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, um, I was really disappointed that Mr. Bray wasn't here last week because my whole talk was based on a quote from John Wimber and I thought you'd have liked that. So, sh But just to kind of let you know what you missed, last week I was talking about the way in is the way on, which is a famous Wimber quote. And the point is that the way we come into the Christian life through Jesus is meant to be how we live the Christian life, that we depend on what Jesus did for kind of everything about the Christian life. And that's what we were talking about last week. And we were focusing on why that was the case. And it is really all about Jesus. And in the passage last week, um, Paul talks about um, kind of all of the deity of the Godhead dwelling in Jesus. That kind of when Jesus took our human flesh, he brought the whole nature of God into that incarnation. That the, that the nature of God dwells in Jesus. If you want to see what God is like, the place to look is to look at Jesus. Um, and and as, as with all these things, it's like there's two sides to the coin. Paul talks about kind of the whole of, the, of God's nature dwelling in Jesus and then he turns around and says to the Colossians, and you have received fullness in Christ. It's like kind of everything of God dwells in Jesus. And when you become a Christian, everything of Jesus dwells in you. Um, so, yeah, and, and kind of he, and he goes on to talk about that. And he uses as an illustration people being baptized, particularly by immersion. Sprinkling doesn't really kind of hit the mark with this. He talks about what it means for us to die with Christ, to be raised to a new life with Christ. Kind of, it's like, yeah, baptism is like a visual picture of that. You go down into the water in baptism. Um, you, it symbolizes dying to the old life that you used to live. Um, you come up out of the 
water. It symbolizes rising with Christ to live a new life that's based on what he's done on his, on, 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 on his strength. And I did a bit of an aside at five, so I'll do it here as well. You want to get your money's worth out of me, don't you? You don't want to be shortchanged and miss out on anything that five o'clock got? No? Good. Uh, the kind of the question I gave at five was, has everyone been baptized? Or if you've been baptized, you know, and, and it was as a child, have you been confirmed? You know, actually that whole thing of acting out this picture of our salvation is really powerful. It's part of kind of the way God liberates us to live the life he wants us to. Um, so kind of that's just a, if you haven't talked to me, I'd love to talk to you about how you can be baptized. That would be awesome. So we pick up in the same sort of vein tonight. Paul says, begins, kind of everything he says is based on what we were talking about last week. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Um, and he kind of he underlines the importance of what he's saying by repeating it. Set your hearts on things above. And then he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Uh, you died to your, and your old life is now, living in, living in, is now hidden in Christ. And this is another one of those kind of other side of the coins here. You know. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. The fullness of Christ dwells in us. Um, and now he says, um, we dwell in Christ. Um, and there's a bit of a mystery about this. Um, I was having this conversation with, I think, Mark and one or two others last night at the pub for Giles's birthday. And commenting, I hadn't totally kind of finished writing this talk. That there was another hour of work to go on it and kind of the big question was would it be more you know influenced by the holy spirit or two pints of harvey's um and and whether or not anyone would be able to tell the bits that were written with after the influence of the harvey's or the bits that were written before the influence of the harvey's um and if you don't know what harvey's is it's bitter just for those of you that are kind of yeah maybe yeah wouldn't know that yeah i'm sure you do i'm sure that's kind of a stupid thing to say um, I, I have to say, I can't quite get my head around that. And that's not because of the influence of beer. It's because actually there's a sense of mystery about this whole thing. That God would take human form. How can the God that's bigger than the universe enter into humanity? Um, how can um, the fullness of everything that's in Jesus dwell in us? And if, and if Jesus dwells in us... How can we dwell in Jesus? There's an element of kind of mystery about this whole thing. Uh, and kind of really at the heart of it is, it is about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, uh, you know, he dealt with all the things that separate us from God uh, and gives us that clean start and, gives, and, and comes and lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And you can't kind of, there is mystery in it. You can't complain it. You can't explain it nice and neatly. Um, and... Somehow, then, the ascended Christ uh, yeah, carries our humanity into the throne room of God. I love the fact that God is forever changed by the incarnation. It wasn't kind of a, a thing for a moment to achieve something that was necessary. It was something for eternity. He takes our humanity... He shows us what God is like. He shows us how humans are really meant to live. 
Um, he dies in our place to restore our relationship with God. And then when he goes back to heaven, he doesn't leave our humanity behind, but he takes it with him, and it's forever part of him, as are the marks of his suffering. Amazing. Okay, I'd better get to the point, hadn't I? Um, are you someone who is motivated by goals? Are you goal-driven? What is your goal? And I just want to reflect on that a little bit tonight. Um, does anyone recognize these words? We choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Anyone know who said that? Kind of very topical this weekend, 50 years on from the launch one. Yeah. Don't know which one. It's JFK. Um, and I, I only know that because I was watching the sport yesterday. And the introductions to the London Athletics was Kennedy's words, kind of talking about striving for the goal, kind of superimposed over the athletes kind of running and achieving stuff. It's not unrelated in a way. It's not unrelated. Are you goal-driven? If you are in employment, almost certainly you will have appraisals and people will give you goals that they expect you to fulfill. Kind of that's what managers do these days but kind of do goals drive you um i am seriously impressed by sports people who will give so much um to achieve their goal my own son is um he likes his park runs his current goal is to do his 5k in under 20 minutes is that a good timing that would be i mean he's he's on he's on he's on He's on 20 minutes, 20 seconds at the moment. And he just wants to knock that 20 seconds off and get it below the 20-minute mark. Um, and that's his goal. And that's what he's working towards. Uh, I'm not the biggest um, Tour de France fan, um, but I am, I'm, I'm impressed by anyone that can kind of cycle hundreds of kilometres every day for a month. I mean... I, besides the fact it might be a, there might be a question mark over your sanity, kind of for, you know, for, for putting your body through that level of pain, um, that is seriously impressive. But there are 21 teams in the Tour de France. There are 218 riders. But only one of them will get to win that prize and achieve that goal of winning the Tour de France and keeping the yellow jersey. Only one can win. Um, so kind of, are we driven? My, my wife would say that Daniel and I are the competitive ones and that she and Karis are not competitive and they're not goal-driven. Uh, and I'm really glad they're not here because I can sing their praises and tell you just how goal-driven they both are um, without getting in trouble or embarrassing them. Carol, when she was 16, was doing a nursery nursing course um, kind of at the local kind of college and she had a day out with a health visitor 
And in that, in, well, no, she had, I think she had more, a couple of weeks' placement. And during that placement, she decided at 16 that she wanted to be a health visitor. So she took two years to complete the NNMB for being a, for, to be a nursery nurse. She then started general nurse training, which she did for three years. You weren't meant to be able to train as a health visitor until you'd been qualified for two years. But somehow she blagged her way onto a midwifery course. And at the end of the midwifery course, went straight into her health visiting. Um, and by about 21 or 22, was a health visitor, having to set that goal for herself at 16. And, I can't, and she says she's not goal-driven. But that, that is an amazing, for me, that, to achieve that is, is remarkable. Um, Karis, again, not competitive, not goal-driven in any way. But in 1415, was struggling with the mental health of her friends and seeing the pain they were going through and visiting them in mental health units around the country and being horrified by the lack of care at, at kind of 15, 16 made her mind up that she was going to be a mental health nurse and make a difference with that and she's just qualified as a mental health nurse and is going to be starting working with children and adolescents uh, so both of them are, know how to set goals um, what are our goals? For some people, it's bigger houses, better cars. Um, I have to say church leaders are not exempt. Um, if you meet with a gathering of church leaders, they will frequently ask questions about how big is your church? How many people attend your church? Um, kind of, it's, this, it's just the same as the world, you know? It's no different. But is growth just about numbers? Apparently, the diocese is just about to employ three growth enablers and part of vicar's appraisals will be to ask us questions about to what degree our church is growing. So, I don't, so, we, so you've got to invite more people along. Otherwise, I might get sacked. Well done, Elaine, for bringing your son. <laughs> you, might, you, you might be the difference between me keeping my job and losing it. You've got to come back, you see. Take pity on me. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether you're going to enjoy it. Just come back. <laughs> um. I have a current personal goal, which is nothing to do with growing the church. Um, I decided that I want to enter some photography competitions. I think I might have bitten off more than I can chew. Never mind. Um, but kind of, yeah. So that I have a bit of a personal goal. Um, Paul, I think, is saying that we should all have a goal. He says, set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. Um, and kind of, that is not just about being so kind of heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. For Paul, there are implications for us choosing to set our mind and see eternity as being important. Um, it should affect and sh an impact how we live now. Paul goes on to say, put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. He's saying, make a choice about how you're going to live in the light of eternity. Um, when we talked about Corinth, we talked about this kind of Greek philosophy of dualism, 
kind of this idea of a separation between what is material and what is spiritual and how that that was at the root of some of the problems that Paul is addressing in this letter to the Colossians. Um, and it was like they saw the spiritual as being what was important and the material everyday life didn't matter. And I, if you remember, I said it kind of took them in two completely opposite directions. In, on one level, it took people towards asceticism, asceticism. Can't say, you can't even say it. It took people into kind of this whole life of self-denial where they would deny the flesh. And because that, you know, they had to, to subdue the flesh because of the spirit. Or because the, the, the body didn't matter, it took people in the opposite level direction that they could be as immoral as they liked as long as they kind of did the spiritual stuff um paul's saying that's not how it works he's saying following jesus has implications for how we live now put to death what belongs to the earthly nature and he gives a pretty long list of examples uh sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires, greed, which is adultery. And kind of um, Paul's comment here is all about how they used to live. And he's not just addressing the sexual arena, he's addressing every area of life. You know, he speaks out against anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, deceitfulness, don't lie. Uh, and there's this contrast here between kind of the old nature, the way they used to live, um, and how they're called to live now. He says, you're being, you know, when you put your trust in God, you're being changed by him, and you need to live that out. You're being renewed in knowledge, in the image of the creator. Uh, and God's made us in his image, and he wants to restore that image within us. Um, and kind of he goes on to develop that. And I'm coming into land, so don't panic too much. In verse 12, he said, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Um, there isn't any room for misunderstanding here. Um, we belong to God. We're chosen. And we're dearly loved. We belong to God and we're loved by God. And that's why he wants the best for us. And we say all the time. God loves you. He loves you as you are. But because God loves us as, he, as we are, he's not content for us to stay that way. He wants us to become everything we were created to be. He doesn't want us to miss out on anything he's done for us. And this kind of leads us to one of my favorite verses. Uh, it was read at um, Katie's sister uh, Bex's wedding. Um, and, um, but it's not just for married couples. Um, Paul says, um, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity and so kind of Paul contrasts um, kind of the earthly human nature that we're called to leave behind with these characteristics which really are God's nature that God wants to bring about within us um, 
and I have, um, I've just really found myself deeply challenged by this passage, um, kind of this week, over, the, over this week as I've been thinking about it. Um, it, it feels to me like these words are, are as prophetic as anything is in terms of speaking to our society and to our world and to our generation at this time. Um, when, we, when we look at our world, um, kind of, it is far too much characterized by kind of those aspects of the earthly nature that Paul talks about. And nowhere near enough characterized by these aspects of God's character and God's nature. Um, and if you are, if, and if you think I'm going to be, po- I'm going to get political, I am going to get political. Um, but please don't get me wrong. I am not pointing out any one person here. I actually think we are living at a time when there is the most massive failure of civic, stroke, political leadership, not just in our nation, um, but internationally. Um, when leaders' words and actions denigrate the, go down to the lowest common denominator, something has gone very wrong in our world. Um, we live in a society that is polarised, and the actions of many people called to public leadership are increasing that polarisation. Um, we, yeah, we're right, we live at a time when there's a rise right across the world of extremist political and nationalistic parties. Um, but, most, but most obvious of all um, is, kind of the, is the way people express views and hold positions on things like social media. People don't disagree about an idea they slag off the person that holds that idea and they insult them for holding it. Um, And it feels like we have just degenerated into the sorts of things that Paul talks about here. Kind of rage and anger, um, untruths, kind of just totally inappropriate language. It's become commonplace in people in high office it's become commonplace right across society. Um, how far have we gone away from what Paul talks about here? Um, uh, about being clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Um, because it seems to be completely absent from the public stage and the public arena as well as the social one. Um, Paul says, clothe yourselves in these things. Uh, Now, I could have totally misread this congregation. Um, I kind of doubt, I mean, I could be completely wrong, that there are any budding nudists here. That's just woken you up, hasn't it, really? If anyone was dozing off, what on earth is a vicar going on about now? Most of us don't consciously or unconsciously forget to dress before we go out. You know, it's kind of, to be honest, for some of us, it wouldn't be a very pleasant sight. (laughs) Yeah. 
But do we consciously choose day by day, not just on a Sunday. On a Sunday, it's dualism. You know, what we do in church, what we do, kind of the God stuff then, and we do the world stuff on other days. Do we day by day choose to put on Christ's nature? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do we make that choice uh, when we get on Facebook, uh, when we talk to people in the workplace, um, to consciously choose to put on kind of the characteristics of the nature of God rather than the nature of, the earthly, of, of this earthly world? I'm going to shut up. <laughs>